Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, what I want you to do is I want you to open it to 1 Samuel and just hold there uh, the Old Testament book after Judges. And we are starting a new series today called The King We Need. It's timely for good reason. Uh, this is Israel's going to be first earthly king that they have asked for, and God is going to give them. And uh, we'll find out uh, what that looks like in the book and ultimately points towards Jesus Christ. And so every time we've usually started in the, I guess, modern era of BibleProject.com, we um, uh, want to give you a little summary of the overview of these two books. First and Second Samuel should be thought of more like one story rather than two. Uh, and so we'll be going through those together. But the BibleProject.com do a great job of putting a really clear summary for us as we enter into this book, what the book is about. And so we're going to turn our attentions before we read our text this morning. We're going to turn our attentions towards the screen as we do for new series and get a little familiar with this book through their summation. So turn your attention now and then we'll pick up reading God's word today. I don't know about you, but this seems like a timely book to be in. Drama and corruption and leadership and politics? Oh, I don't know. Not relevant. Well, we are going to look to God's word this morning uh, in 1 Samuel. If I could have the lights up, that'd be helpful to see all these beautiful people um, eventually. There we go. Uh, so we're going to read a story about Hannah, but before we do, just reminding ourselves of the overview of this book, because it is timely, whenever God's people, whenever any people Look to any other being or person as king. The results are catastrophic. And so 1 Samuel will show us, and 2 Samuel will show us, that even in the establishment of one we would call David, a man after God's own heart, as a great earthly king, he's still a sinful failure. And when we put our hope in anything else, the results are catastrophic. But here's the good news for this morning. If you hear nothing else, God is a way maker. He makes a way in all that, and he will continue to do that until Jesus, his son, comes back to take his people home. So we're going to read verses 1 through 20, a beautiful narrative. I love the Old Testament narratives. Uh, they relate to us in our stories. They are unique about people that are just struggling with real things like us. And before we read this text, we'll say our affirmation together. If you're new to Real Hope uh, and you wonder about this, this is just simply an affirmation. It's not scripture. It's about what we believe about scripture and the spirit to illuminate God's word to us and to teach us. So let's say this together. Our pursuit is by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a biblically functioning community. For how countercultural it is to our souls. You will follow the king into eternity. Amen. I'm going to read 1 Samuel 1 through 20. This is where we're introduced to Hannah, who will give birth to Samuel. This is what the word of the Lord says. There was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. 
On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah and his wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorposts of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give it to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah and his, Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. I would invite you to pray, and we're going to just spend brief, we don't have a lot of time this morning, but just a brief time looking at this beautiful story as we're introduced to Hannah, and just ask God to speak to your heart, to remind you that he is God, and he is a way maker. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you that you are good and gracious. And Father, even in the chaos of the world we live in, you are working. You have given us your son so that we could know you and love you and find hope in you. And I pray that we look to you now as we learn from this story of Hannah. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. We live in an age of medical technology and advances, and we have all kinds of things in medicine that can, can help. And I know that our family has personally benefited from surgical techniques and innovations and new technology that have helped Josiah. But you can go to the doctor and you can go to the hospital and you get tests and tests and tests for a lot of symptoms. But somehow there is something quaint and simple that when a doctor asks you this question, you can tell if something's wrong. And the question is, what is your appetite like? Are you eating? 
And so we're introduced to Hannah, who does not have an appetite. Something is wrong. That can be, of course, something physically wrong. In her case, emotionally wrong. And she is off her food, as we would say. And it's this introduction to Hannah that we see because she could not have kids. And she was grieved by that. And I would say as we start this morning, insert anything in your life that you just wish was different. I tell that to people all the time when they approach Carrie and I about our situation with Josiah and say, you know this, but it's not as bad. Everybody has stuff in their life that they just wish was different. And that brings us grief and sorrow. And so that's where we find Hannah. Now the conclusion of the book of Judges if, if you look at the end of the book, was a time which was marked by political and social and religious chaos. Summary statement of the end of that book was that there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the book of Judges, right? Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. They perceive what they want to do. There's no king for the people of Israel. And so things were upside down, if you will. We could relate to that, right? And so these people say, if we could just have a king, an earthly king, a great king, then that will fix all of our problems. Now, I bring that to light for good reason, because that's the macro view, the large view of what God is doing, what was happening in the world. But then the camera zooms in to Elkanah and his wife, Hannah, this little domestic relationship kind of micro view of what this is where we're introduced, this life that we can relate to. And it shows that God always works through the lives of ordinary people. People like you and I. And he meets us where we're at. And so he meets Hannah. You see, why is this important for Hannah? Because the fact is that, chi- that Hannah is childless. And, and you have to understand this. If Hannah's going to be a part of what God is doing, the fact that she has no kids is a key part to that because she will have no son who's an heir and therefore he will not even be a part of what's to come in God's plan for a king one day. And so to overview, explain what's happening, this text that we read is really viewed in two scenes. The first scene is Elkanah and Hannah, the relationship between the husband and wife, all that's going on there. And then the next scene is with Hannah and Eli, the priest. And so we kind of separate those things, and I'll tell you what's going on in this first one. It's pretty self-explanatory, but Elkanah goes year after year, and he sacrifices. He goes to worship at Shiloh, which is a place of worship. And it says there that Eli is there, the priest, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are these two sons. Now there, you're going to see as we go on the book that Eli and his sons are priests, but they're not the answer either. They have their own sinfulness and corruption, reminding us again of a need for new uh, Savior in Jesus Christ and redemption. And says that he goes every year and he gives portions. And he has these two wives. Likely, Hannah is his first wife. Because she couldn't have children, he got Penina as a second wife who has children, sons and daughters. And to give portions to his wives, but he gives double portions, the text says, to Hannah. Why? For two reasons in verse 5. He gave a double portion because he loved her and because the Lord had closed her womb. Now, it's interesting here, Elkanah is a very interesting husband. You think he's trying to do good here. But what is Hannah going to do with all the extra food? As we relate to in our own lives, it's just a reminder of the wound, isn't it? 
It's like brought up all this time, year after year, another reminder of the grief, given double portions because he loved her, but because he was trying to make up for it. And it picks up in verse 6, And her rival, Penina, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And verse 7, so it went on year by year by year. Can you imagine the grief bringing this up year after year? And it says that Penina provoked her. The word in the Old Testament here is used in, only in the Old Testament in this context for thunder. Hannah was literally thundering from the external pressure there's often said when you look at the story of Job, there's no shortage of Job's friends, right? Who come around you and just keep reminding you of the thing that's happening in your life. Whether it's anxiety, whether it's you might relate to this story, whether you've never been able to have kids before, whether it's a sickness, whether it's a, a medical thing or an appearance thing or it's a part of your personality you just wish was different. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one and this thing keeps getting brought before you. Why, God? Is this happening to me? We looked at that several weeks ago, right? And you'll learn again with the story of Hannah. It's often not about the why, God, is this happening to me? It's not often about the thing, and it's not often about the me. And it says that Hannah is brought up in this, and so Elkanah, in his wisdom, it says that even though Hannah wept and would not eat, in verse 8, her husband said to her, husbands, pay attention to this. Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? <sighs> what he should have said was, I know I can't do anything about this, but we'll trust God. And are you not more to me than ten sons? Bank that for your marriage counseling in classes later. That's where we're introduced to him. And so Hannah is grieved, like you and I can relate to. Something in her life she just really wishes was different. And the scenes turn in verse 9, this turning point. I want you to see it because it's profound. It says, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now that's important because Hannah does something about her situation. She gets up. And she moves on from there. And especially this, you have to know. She moves towards the God of heaven in her grief and her sorrow. The real question is not if we will have grief and worldly sorrow. Jesus said that, right? In this world, you have many troubles. The real question is what are you going to do about it? And Hannah gets up. Hannah could have taken revenge on Penina. She could have had hatred in her heart. She provoked her year after year. She could have like, said, Elkanah, why don't you go for a long donkey ride? She didn't do any of those things. What she did was she rose up and she went towards God, which leads me to the first of two points. One, that we have our grief, and the second, rather, I missed my first point, that we will have real moments of honest grief. The second, when we take our grief to God, he meets us where we are. And he gives us what we need. Now Hannah makes her way to the temple. Why? Because she's pursuing the Lord in her grief. She's grieved. You can, the, the words of this story just leap off 
the page and penetrate your heart as you're looking. And this verse says that she is weeping and praying in this passionate way. Now, Eli, the priest, in verse 9 there, is sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple. And in verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She was hysterical. In fact, it says later that she prayed in such a way that only her lips moved. As if she was just like in her heart and her spirit, it says she's pouring her soul out to God. Many of you can relate to this, where even in the New Testament, we find out that the Spirit gives us words when we don't have words ourselves. And she's praying, but her, her lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. And she there makes this vow in verse 11, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give to him the Lord all the days of my life, and no razor shall touch his head. Now this isn't a play. This isn't a game to barter with God. I want to make that very clear. Hannah is much too smart for that. She goes to the Lord of hosts, which is the God of angel armies, and she submits her life to him and weeps her situation before him and presents what she desires before God. But she is not playing a game of bartering. God, if you give me this, I'll give you this. You know this is what I want. She wants to submit herself to God's plan completely. And she is trusting in him ultimately to reveal his ultimately bigger plan and redemption. And he, God alone, will give her what she needs. And her prayer was so passionate that it confuses the priest Eli. Which is important to note. He confused her as a drunk woman. You must be drinking. Which again shows us the, the priest himself was not spiritually aware to discern what was happening. Another object of someone in leadership in failure. As it's always going to be on this earth. Only Jesus, had he been standing there in that moment, could have known her heart of hearts. And Eli's lack of awareness revealed, again, the insufficiency of even the priestly leaders. And Hannah's answer was that she had been pouring her soul out to the Lord. Important to note that the priests of that day, right, she aims, God, I've been talking to God, which is what Eli should have been doing in perceiving that, right? She pointed herself towards the Lord. And Eli has been confronted with this, confusing her. And in verse 16, she says to him, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out my great anxiety with vexation. Hannah rose up, and she did what, we, what Nancy read in Luke. She went to God in prayer, and she put her grief out to the Lord, and she pursued him, and she asked, and she seeked, and she knocked. And what's amazing about this story is Eli answers in verse 17, almost coming to his senses, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. I can't, I can't tell you that all the things that you're going to ask God, he's going to give you. I'm not going to stand here and lie to you about that. But what I do know is when Hannah asked God, he answered back, in the biggest of ways in his redemptive plan. And he gave her what she needed because it was what he was doing in the world. And you could say, well, didn't God give her what she wanted? Of course he gave her what she wanted in a son. But what 
she, what he gave her was what she needed, was to submit her life to the sovereign king and ultimately to his plan. That's what that's about. It's not the son that was given. She ultimately returns him to the Lord. So she gives back the very gift that God gave. But symbolically submitting, God, whatever your plan is, you know best for me. You know best for our people. An ordinary person that God chose to use in the redemptive line of bringing Christ to the front and forefront as the ultimate king. And Eli's answer then turns her heart. And she says in verse 18, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way. And what did she do? She ate. And her face was no longer sad. When you and I bring our grief, our sorrow, our wonder, our disappointment, our anxiety, our vexation, our concern, our worry, our instability, our confusion with what's coming down the pipe to the Lord, what does he do? He returns to us peace that passes beyond all understanding. He returns to us food. And she rises up and she approaches God with her grief. It's not taken away at this point. She goes towards God and he returns to her peace. And then it says that she went her way, her face was no longer sad, and her food came back to her. You and I both know that life is a process of ups and downs. I said that to several people this morning. I said, how are you doing? I said, oh, you know, it's just faith is what is constant in our life. We will have trials that ebb and flow. We will have moments of grief and deep bitterness where we cannot even eat. And then moments when we, if we, I should say, go to the Lord in faith and bring ourselves to him and bow before his throne. I sat and I worshiped this morning as God is a way maker. And I was just moved to tears of this world and all its complexities. But when we come back to God again, Now we can rise up and go and do our work in the world that he's called us to and we can do it with joy and we can eat until the next time where we need to bow humbly before God and get on our knees and our face again and cry our tears and then have him pick up our head. The last two verses which we'll cover more in the next several weeks, I think I'm done here. 19 and 20, we know the end of the story, right? It says they rose early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord. You see that? Somehow the scene changes here. And Hannah goes back and, and whether they all go together, I don't know all of the story, but it says they go and they, they rise up early in the morning and they worship again, right? You and I cannot miss this. We are a people that does this so often before God. When God delivers in our weakest needs, what do we do? We turn back to ourselves, don't we? And it says here that Hannah recognizes, again, I said she's too smart for this stuff. She goes back to the Lord again, and she worships. She just doesn't go on with her life like you and I often do in our sinfulness and pridefulness. When God shows up, and he really shows up, and he brings peace to our hearts, then we're just on to the next thing. No, it says they rose up early, and they went, and they worshiped again. And then they went back to their house of Ramon. Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord, look at this. The Lord remembered her. 
There's some time that's passed here before her vow actually comes into fruition that she's made with the Lord, that she's made to Eli, and the Lord delivers on that, and he remembered her. Friends, I'm here today to tell you that if you are wondering where God is, the God is the God who remembers. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're suffering through and struggling through, and he will remember you in his good time. And it says he remembered, and in due time, in verse 20, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, and it fits so well with the Luke text, doesn't it? I have asked for him from the Lord. This is a story of how you see faithful people who are trusting God in real hardship. There is real grief, but there is a real God And ultimately, what we learn from this is he meets us right where we are at in that grief, and he gives us not what we want, but what we need. For Hannah, she submitted to that, and God chose to use his plan, a plan that he had developed all along. And that's another reminder. This isn't something like God has forgotten about you, and he's reacting to the new normal in your life or the new normal in our world. This is a plan that God had before the beginning of time, ultimately to work through Samuel, to bring about a king in Saul, to usher in David's kingdom, ultimately pointing towards the one. And that's what I want you to see in this series. I want all of us in our world right now, in this upside down, chaotic, like disorder of the world, for our church, our body of Christ to look at this, to point down down the road and say, that's the king we need. This isn't going to do it from this party It's not going to do it from this party. It's not going to do it from any, that's the king we need. And you have opportunity now in a very politically unsettled world to have conversations. That's a thing we ought to do with people, conversations. That's weird in our world, right? To actually talk to people, not to debate politics with them, but to say, it doesn't matter what the policy is. That's the king we need. That's the one I want to tell you about. You have trouble and sorrow, that's the one who will bring healing. That's the one who remembered, and he has remembered all along in our mess. Jesus Christ was God's plan for the world. And when he came to earth, that's what he did, right? He met people where they were at. And what did he do? He came to them in their sin and sinfulness. He came to us in our brokenness, and he said, not just, he said, don't stay in that. I've come to redeem that and to come and remove them from brokenness and to come and pay for that on the cross and declare victory over our sin and shame and sorrow for eternity. And that's what you and I get to walk out these doors with the message of the gospel and say, that's the king we need. He's not going to take away all your problems. He's going to use them for his glory. He's going to turn all of that sorrow and stuff one day on its head, and he's going to make all things new. And then the revelation becomes exciting, right? No more tears, all wiped away from our eyes. Can you even imagine a world like that right now, where there's no worry and wonder? All of it's just been removed completely. There's no sleepless nights of praying for a child that's sick and wondering what's going to happen next. There's no anxiety about my, my, why do I think like this? Why do I have this addiction? Why do I struggle in this way? There's none of that. That's the king we need. And I want you to get that, to point down the road with the gospel to this world who is lost and confused right now and say, that's the king 
that we need. That is the ultimate hope we have in the midst of times. On days when we don't feel like eating, one day we will feast. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so good. And it is so good to worship you this morning. Father, even in earthly tears and sorrow for all the chaos in the world, and I know we relate to that. We're emotional people that just have unsettledness right now. And God, you, you are so beyond that. You are so much greater than that. And Father, you give us ultimately the hope we need. And Father, I don't know a, a person in the room, unless their heart is not beating, who couldn't relate to a story like Hannah. In the inmost part of our being, the grief that comes out of that woman before you is the grief that ought to come out of us. But Father, it's not the grief, it's what we do with it. And I pray that each one sitting here would bring it to you. And God, that you would hear it and know it because of your grace and mercy and you return to us peace and mission to go and point towards the one who can grant great healing and bring about life and salvation, and his name is Jesus. And if there is one here today who has never trusted Christ by faith, that they would turn to you now in the faith like Hannah displayed, surrendering their heart and seeking Jesus Christ as the only Lord and Savior for forgiveness of sin, for pridefulness and arrogance, rebelling against you, a holy God, and recognizing that Jesus paid for that on the cross. He took that. He shed his blood and his body was broken and then he rose victoriously so we can look forward, God, with great delight that one day soon Jesus will come again. Father, help us in our weakness to know that one day there will be a king that rules this earth, a new earth that rules your people fully and perfectly. We don't even hardly know what it is to have a leader that, that could do all things well. And that is his name, Jesus. Father, we come to you because of your faithfulness. I'm just amazed by the work that you continue to do in the lives and hearts of people here. And so, Father, I pray that we would just return to you worship this morning with glad hearts. You have been faithful to us before and you will be faithful again. And to the one, if they uttered a prayer of salvation today, that they would know that if they have confessed their sins, you are faithful to forgive. And Father, one day you will bring them home. May we glorify in your name and we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.